up, beautiful people, and welcome back to the Holistic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Natalie Douglas, and today we are talking about one of my favorite topics, which is your poo and your gut health and your gas and your bloating and all of the fun things, right? So one thing that I come across so often in clinic that frustrates the bejeebus out of me is a diagnosis of IBS. I technically IBS stands for irritable bowel syndrome. I like to refer to it lovingly as irritable bullshit syndrome. And the reason I do this is not to make light of how people that are diagnosed with this condition or syndrome must feel. And I've been there myself, so I totally get the struggle is real. It's to highlight the fact that it makes no sense to me that, you know, that is the end of the investigations, right? It's saying that your bowel is irritated and this is what's wrong with you. Goodbye. What the heck? You know, the question should be, and the question I'm always asking myself is, why is your bowel irritated? And that makes so much more sense than just sending you away with the fact that we've just labeled you with something that you already know. Like people with IBS, people with gas and bloating and alternating diarrhea or constipation, they know their bowel is irritated. That's why they're in the office. Anyway, that is my rant aside. What I actually want to share with you today is what I find to be the most common cause of irritable bowel syndrome in clinic. Now, I'm not saying that every single case of IBS is caused by this, but what I am saying is that the large majority of cases I see, and I see a lot of them, this is the underlying driving factor. And also the research suggests that about 60 to 80% of IBS is in fact caused by this. And this, my friends, is SIBO. So SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And what it is in a nutshell is when bacteria that should be in your large intestine start to overgrow in your small intestine. So essentially, you know, we, most of our gut bacteria should and do reside in the large intestine. And there really isn't supposed to be very many in the small intestine. And what can happen over time or not even over time, it can be quite an acute thing for some people as well, is that those bacteria can, for some reason or another, which we'll go through in a moment, start to overgrow in the wrong place. And that's when we start to get a lot of these different symptoms that we associate with IBS. So things like bloating, gas, um, you could have loose stools, or you could have constipation, depending on the type of bacteria that's overgrown, or you very much could alternate between the two. Often there's a component of um, abdominal pain or discomfort. Sometimes there's nausea. Sometimes there's other things like skin issues, restless leg syndrome, fatigue, struggle with digesting your nutrients. So you might be chronically um, vitamin B12 or iron deficient. There's lots of different layers and symptoms that can go alongside it. And there are also many different causes or drivers to SIBO. So when it comes to let's just start with identifying whether it is SIBO. 
The fastest way to find out is a combination of clinical symptoms and clinical assessment by a practitioner who knows what they're talking about alongside doing a lactulose breath test, which um, can be done privately through different labs. I personally use SIBOTest.com to do most of my SIBO breath tests for my patients who are in Australia and New Zealand. Sometimes I use different labs when I'm talking about managing my UK or US clients, but that's basically where I go to. Now, it's not enough to just go off and do that breath test by yourself and think that you can interpret the results without the help of a practitioner. The reason that is, is because on that test, there are two types of SIBO assessed and one is methane dominant SIBO and one is hydrogen dominant SIBO. And what these terms mean is that basically are there an over is there an overgrowth of bacteria that are producing too much methane gas? Um, and often that looks more like a picture of constipation um, or is there a picture of bacteria where they are producing too much hydrogen gas and that is more so when we see the diarrhea or loose stools. It isn't always true, like as in it's not always that methane equals constipation and hydrogen equals diarrhea or loose stools because there are always exceptions to the rule and sometimes there are both. Now, although those are the two that are tested for on that SIBO breath test, there is another form of SIBO that isn't tested for um, at this stage and there is no current, you know, patient available test to assess this, but it is a hydrogen sulfur overgrowth. So what that is, is when there's too much sulfur gas being produced. Now on your SIBO breath test, it doesn't have a category for that necessarily, but a skilled practitioner who knows how to interpret the results will be able to look at the pattern of your gases on that test and not your gases as in your farts, your gases as in your breath test results and be able to tell whether there is likely an overgrowth of the sulfur um, producing bacteria. And that always will be something that they do in conjunction with asking you questions around your symptoms because both of those need to be interpreted together. No test is a perfect test and that's why it's so important that symptoms are matched to clinical testing and other investigations as well. So that's how you find out whether you have it or not. Now, in terms of what are the drivers of SIBO, there's many, many, many drivers. Personally, I see a few be the frequent flyers, so to speak. So the ones I see most commonly are post-antibiotic, a trigger for post-antibiotics being a trigger for SIBO, post-food poisoning being a trigger for SIBO, um, and also underactive thyroids being a trigger and chronic stress, or if someone's gone through a really stressful period. And just remember that stress is relative. So perceived stress. So someone might not find a situation particularly stressful, and then another person might find it completely distressing. It doesn't matter what it is. It's what your perception of that is. Um, so they would, they would be the ones that I see most. A big reason why 
um, it happens in terms of the the relationship between those different stressors or events is actually really fascinating. So I'm going to start with the easiest one to explain, which is when you have an underactive thyroid. So when you have an underactive thyroid, as an oversimplification, but something that is true, is that everything slows down, including the transit time or the movement of food through your digestive tract. So it's very common for a lot of people with SIBO to actually have constipation. And it's also very common for a lot of people with an underactive thyroid to have SIBO because that movement slows down, which means that food is allowed to sit and ferment in your small intestine for a little bit longer, which means those bacteria are like, sweet as bro, I have a feast that I can consume here. I'm going to hang out and I'm just going to grow here. And until you actually do something about it to get rid of them, and fix the underlying cause of why it has overgrown in the first place, it will not disappear. Even if you do a low FODMAP diet, it will not go away until you actually address the underlying root cause. The other really interesting one that is perhaps a little bit more complex is in relation to post-food poisoning and that being a trigger. So the interesting thing about this is that what can happen is when you've got food poisoning, your body is obviously mounting an immune response to address that bug that has come in and poisoned you. And when it is producing, it's what we call antibodies to the bug that's come in and disrupted that environment. Sometimes it can produce antibodies to the migrating motor complex, which sounds absolutely wonky and wacky, but what it is essentially is like a little, I like to think of it as like a little sweeping system that exists in your small intestine. And it does these little wave-like motions and pushes food from your small intestine through to your large intestine so that it doesn't just sit there and ferment, right? So it has a really key role. And what can happen is your body can mistakenly, so a case of mistaken identity, produce antibodies to that migrating motor complex, and that can therefore compromise its function and it can start to dysfunction and not do its sweeping motions as well as it usually should be doing it. And then the SIBO starts to, or the bacteria start to overgrow and ferment. So again, you have to address the underlying root cause. I also think that part of the reason why SIBO can be an issue is if we have, you know, chronic activation of our sympathetic nervous system, which is the relationship between stress and not enough activation of our parasympathetic nervous system. The connection here, or one of the connections, because there are many, is that your vagus nerve, which runs from your brain all the way and innovates into your gut, has a huge role in motility, in the movement of food through your intestine and it is activated when you're in a parasympathetic state not necessarily a sympathetic state 
And so if it has no chance to be nourished and to be activated and do its thing, then again, there is a compromise to the function of your motility and allowing food to overgrow in the wrong place. So I I think it's a really important discussion to have. I also want to flag with you that in my experience so far in clinic, there aren't a lot of conventional doctors or sometimes even conventional gastroenterologists that are acknowledging this and testing for it. That's not to say they aren't out there. They absolutely are. And there's some amazing research being done in many places around the world that are being done by gastroenterologists really interested in in SIBO. But I just want you to know that so that when you're going into doctors or gastroenterologist offices, that you know, absolutely still bring it up and see if they're open to investigating it with you or have any knowledge around it. But know that if it gets pushed back, and it's just not something that's on their radar or it's not something they're willing to put on their radar and investigate, there are other other options for you. So, you know, practitioners like myself who specialize in gut health, other practitioners, you know, naturopaths or integrative doctors or nutritionists that have a keen interest in gut health absolutely will be well equipped to help you with you know, assessing for whether that is an issue for you and providing you some treatment strategies as well. So, I'm going to leave it there and what I'm going to do in a few episodes time is I'm going to do a part two to this and talk about some of the treatment strategies we or I use in clinical practice to address this and also some of the other kinds of overgrowth that can occur because unfortunately it's not just bacteria that can overgrow in our small intestine and cause a lot of those IBS symptoms. There can also be fungal overgrowths too that look very similar in presentation. So we will chat about that next time. I would love if you shared this episode with any of your friends who have IBS or have gut issues that could be helped by this information because I know how shitty, pun intended, it can be having gut issues, having had them myself for many, many years. And I think it's really important to get the word out there that irritable bowel syndrome is something to investigate not just stop at once you get slapped with that label, right? So share away if you enjoy the podcast. I would so love if you left a rating and review. It really helps this information get out to more people. And I will speak to you all very, very soon. 